Have you ever wanted to, uh, someone you know to meet someone else you know? Like maybe um, you know somebody, they're just a good hang. And you would love to get this other person that's a good hang and get all of you to hang out together. Or, or maybe you share a story and you find out that this person you shared your story with shares something similar. And you have another friend who shares that same story. And so you want to hook everybody up to enjoy the way that those stories work. It could be you're part of you homeschool or you just had a baby or uh, you are engineers working in the same field. Or, or maybe it's like a matchmaker thing. Like, I don't know if you're a matchmaker in here or if you've been a product of a matchmaker, but um, we have kids of, like, matchmaking age, and so my wife's eyes are always scanning the horizon, right? Your people get with my people. Our text starts with some Greeks, not given their names, non-Jews, Gentiles. They're in Jerusalem for Passover week. Passover week was this exciting time in Jerusalem, and these people have come, these these Greeks have come from far and wide. They're what the Bible might be called uh, God-fearers, a Bible way of saying a non-Jew seeker of God. They, they came to Philip, not by mistake. Philip is a Greek name. Philip is from Bethsaida in Galilee. It's a heavy Greek place in Israel. And they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. Maybe this morning... That describes you. Your hope this morning and gathering on Easter Sunday is to see Jesus. Now, every Sunday, that's the goal of this place. If, you want, if you're new here or new around here, that is our desire to be a place where Jesus is seen. Philip tells Andrew another Greek name, and they both ask Jesus. There are some Greeks here, Jesus, they want to see you. An awkward Jesus, right? That's the story of John. In John, Jesus is continually awkward. Like you introduce your friend to this friend, and it starts off, well, not well. Reputation, they are fun, Bobby. And then today, when you introduce them, not so much fun, Bobby, right? That's kind of Jesus here. Who is this Jesus? And this is what will guide us through our text. You want to see Jesus. Well, this is who he is first, a Jesus whose hour has arrived. Throughout John, there's this story that's building where Jesus says, my hour has not arrived. It starts at the wedding feast of Canaan, right? You remember his first miracle, the first miracle when he goes public. His mother comes to him. We've run out of wine. The party's just started. Uh, Do something about it. You're Jesus. And Jesus says, woman, My hour has not come. And yet then he goes and does the miracle, right? Later at the Feast of Booths, and then later in in John 7 and John 8, later in Jerusalem, they sought to arrest him, but no one did because, John says, his hour has not come. But now, in the perfect tense, the hour has arrived. It It is complete. And what is the hour for? We're told it's for glory. Hey, Jesus, there's some Greeks here. They want to see you. They wish to see me. Well, they picked a good time to see me because the time for my mission has arrived. It's, he says, for now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus here uses that phrase, Son of Man. It's rare in the book of John, but it links it to the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. I, as I watched Daniel prophesy, I had in a, a night vision. He says, I saw one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. To him, the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. Now think of it, if you've been kind of seeped up as a Jew in the Bible about Messiah, you're anticipating, awaiting Messiah to come, and Daniel 7 is one of those passages, a messianic passage. Imagine, we, we live on the backside of this. Imagine not living on the backside of this, being in the moment. What kind of Jesus would you think was coming? A king. One that would ascend to a throne. This is the Son of Man. And so when Jesus says, pointedly, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. What a time to be alive. I think about sporting events that I wish I could have been at, like Jordan's flu game. Like, I watched it on TV. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But Michael Jordan had this game against the Utah Jazz. It's called this flu game, where, like, all that Jordan was was encapsulated in this moment where he conquered all the demons of his sickness and illness to achieve greatness, fame, glory, a championship. Oh, man, to be there, to be in the stands when Brady made his fourth quarter comeback against Atlanta. Amazing, right? That's what the people are expecting. And then Jesus gives them this parable. We want to see Jesus. Well, well, here I am, Jesus says. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, is buried and dies, it remains completely alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus, he says about himself, is the seed that falls. Now let's talk about seeds. Uh, as long as a grain of wheat keeps on being a kernel, just a kernel, in the head of a stalk of wheat, it remains just that alone kernel of wheat. Only when that seed is detached from the head, buried in the ground, does it produce more grain. Now I want you to think about this biblically, right? In Genesis 1, God creates trees, plants, and says, trees bearing fruit according to their kind. He does this, he sees it, and it's good. He, he calls um, Adam and Eve to tend those seedlings, that garden, and then he calls them to be fruitful and multiply and feel, fill the earth. Jesus is the seed of wheat. He is the seed of Abraham, according to Paul in Galatians 3.16. The promises were made to Abraham and his seed, who is the Christ. If you read Genesis, one of the ways we are to read Genesis is about two seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And the Bible plays out along this storyline that there is a seed that is coming, Christ is this seed. He is the seed that falls into the earth. Think about Jesus. Jesus descends from heaven to become a human baby. He then descends in his own humanity as a man and suffers in his humanity. Jesus is the seed, and Jesus is the seed that dies. Life comes from life after its own kind. Life doesn't create itself. So, so how can a grain of wheat which dies produce something living? A, a seed is dormant, alone, able to produce, produce life. 
But if it's not buried, if it does not enter into the ground and germinate, it cannot produce life. You can take a seed. It can be preserved for centuries alone. For instance, the seed from Maseda in Israel that was radiocarbon dated to the time of Christ was recently germinated and studied for over two years as it grew. A grain seed falls from its stalk, separated from its stalk. It's no longer growing or being nurtured in the stalk, but begins to decay. But if it falls in the ground, buried, nourished by the soil, it produces fruit. Now, a grain of wheat has wonderful potential inside a tender germ waiting to be nourished and watered, but the potential is not realized until it's buried. Once in the ground, the soil moisture decomposes the body of the grain. It becomes food for the next generation. The, The wheat grain gives life by dying in the ground. If it's not buried in the ground, the potential cannot be realized. Jesus is describing this about himself. His dissension, he descends from suffering humanity to death itself. He descends from death itself as low as he could go on Holy Saturday into hell. Jesus is the seed that dies. Now to make this clear, in verses 27 to 23, Jesus says his soul is troubled and distressed. You can hear the heart of Jesus. Should I, should I cry out to God to save me from this hour? This is why I've come. Jesus could have chosen to not be a grain of wheat buried in the earth. I think about my state championship game. In that game, I got boxed in ones, which means that the the team played zone except for one person that was guarding me. Overwhelmed by that pressure, I passively sat out that game. Now, I played, but I let the game go on around me was one of my biggest regrets, that choosing to remain out and alone. Now think about the Greeks' question. We want to see Jesus. And Jesus says, here I am. This is why I've come, not to be saved or delivered, but to instead give my life to be the grain of wheat falling into the earth and dying. So, So Father, Jesus says, glorify my name. Glorify your name now in my falling to the earth as I die. It's the the same petition as the Lord's Prayer where we pray, hallowed be thy name. Don't miss the how. The how of the glorifying of the name of God is by letting the Son be crucified. That's a strange glory. Jesus says, help me, God, in the coming week to do everything you want me to do, to do it in the right way so that you will receive the most honor. And And a voice comes down from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The Father says, I will glorify it. In your falling into the earth and dying, I will glorify it. Now, the grain of wheat falling in the earth of dying, look at verse 32. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Now, there's double meaning here. How will Jesus glorify the name by falling into the earth and and dying when he's hoisted up? Now, when you read that the first time, I think that the thought is, when his hearers would have heard that, they would have thought, man, he he is the son of man. He's going to come in glory. But the hoisting up here refers not to that first. It refers first to the cross, and then second to resurrection and ascension. Now, all of this is because the grain of wheat, that is Jesus, falls into the earth. Jesus is the seed 
that dies on the cross. And what is the fruit? What is the fruit that we're told in this parable? If the fruit is buried, he does not remain alone, but produces much, much fruits. Well, first in our text, we have two negatives and a positive. They come in at verse 30. Jesus says, And what I am about to do, being the seed that falls to the earth and dies, when I am hoisted up for the world to see on the cross, it seems like the world is overcoming me. But I'm actually overcoming the world. I am judging the world. I'm judging the world and its ways, the systems of violence and oppression in the world, the sin that rules and reigns in the world. My very act of coming to the earth and dying on a cross is so that the systems of the world will be judged. And second, I'm also going to exercise the devil from the world. He says the ruler of the world would be thrown out. That means the devil will be dethroned, defeated, shamed, excised out by Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection. This means that the devil's supremacy over us is undone by the cross and the resurrection. Question one of the Heidelberg, Jesus has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. That's the fruit. The fruit is Jesus. The fruit is Jesus and his life purged into the ground that produces this life, resurrection life, that exercises the devil and judges the world. The fruit of the seed falling to the earth is the sun hoisted up on the cross, is that sin and sin's reign is undone, that the devil is exercised from his place of power, that he overcomes them, how? By dying. The backwards nature of the kingdom of Jesus that we've been talking about all throughout these parables. He overcomes the, fle- the world, the flesh, the devil. He overcomes sin, and he overcomes the wages of sin, death. This is why John 12 is a resurrection text. The fruit of the seed falling into the earth means that sin and death will be no more. Because the most clear fruit of this is the resurrection of Christ. So Jesus goes to the cross, he's buried in the ground and dies. And the fruit is when God vindicates Jesus' death. When he vindicates it and he says, this is the death which saves humanity. This is the seed that crushes the serpent's head. And it happens when Jesus dies on the cross. Because he was raised, the vindication of God falls upon Christ. This is why the hoisting of the sun has double meaning. And it's why, hear this, it's the magnetic power of the planet. Jesus says when he's hoisted up for all the world to see, that all the world will be drawn to him. See, one of the fruits of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that human hearts all over the world, like no other magnetic force in the universe, are attracted to him. Jesus, in being the grain of wheat that will bear much fruit in the world, Jesus being the grain of wheat that dies and gives fruit as a gift. When the poet writer Mary Kerr was 14 years old, She was uh, living in rural Texas, and she had uh, just attempted suicide by uh, swallowing a bunch of pills, but she was unsuccessful. Now, she winds up sick, 
in front of the toilet, and her parents come home to find her. And they pick her up and care for her without ever even suspecting that there was a suicide attempt. They attributed her sickness to, a, to bad food or a stomach bug. And after a while, her father asked her if there's any food she could stomach. And all she could think about was a plum. But plums were out of season. So she goes to bed. And the next morning, her father comes into her room, and he's holding in his arms a bushel of plums. He'd driven through the night from Texas to Arkansas to get them for her. And this is what he says, according to her memoir. Damned if I didn't get the urge to drive to Arkansas last night, he says. Fort Smith, Arkansas. I found a roadside stand out there with a feller selling plums. And I say, buddy, I got a little girl sick back in Texas. She's got a hankering for plums and ain't nothing else going to do. And then Mary says of herself, You sink your teeth into the plum, and the skin is still warm from riding in the sun in daddy's truck, and and the nectar runs down your chin, and you snap out of it, or you are snapped out of it. Never again will you lay a hand against yourself. Not so long as there are plums to eat and somebody, anybody who cares to haul them to you. That's how you acquire the resolution for survival that the coming years are about to demand. You, you don't earn it. It's given. How can we be the fruit of the seed bearing in the ground? We receive it as gift. We receive Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf as gift. The fruit of the seed of Jesus falling to the earth buried, it is given Isn't it interesting that the magnetic pull of Jesus is in this lifting up of death and resurrection? What is something that is magnetic that draws you to somebody else? It's usually not negative. It's often not suffering. But this is why Jesus doesn't remain alone. The gift of Jesus and his death And resurrection is the magnetic pull of the universe. All, we're told in John, are drawn to him to receive him or reject him. Jesus' death and resurrection will receive a hearing from everyone. And the fruit of the seed falling to the earth and dying is everyone, everyone who believes. In dying, he becomes, we're told, the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Jesus is this first fruit. Everyone who dies is raised because Jesus is the first fruit of death and resurrection. Everyone will face the judgment of the world in the sun because he is the fruit buried in the ground and dies. And what is the fruit? Namely us, prefigured in those Greeks coming to see Jesus and the disciples and the early church and the Gentiles. And this fruit gives us what? What does the fruit of Christ give us? All those delicacies. It's the the plum juices dripping down our chins. We we read uh, some things, or Christina read some things in the prayer. What are the plum juices that God gives to you and I when we've done everything, everything to end our life and someone else's life? What is the gift of grace he gives us? Even now, O Spirit, be at work at us, rending the very roots of our insurrections, upend all remnants of death, 
death's profane kingdom, bursting all the bonds that held us in a long thrall to that cruel throne. Haste the day when your kingdom has not merely broken into this broken world, but is at last fully realized among us, complete, present, irresistible. Jesus is the magnetic force. Why? Because Jesus is the one, because of his death and resurrection, that hastes the day when all sin and sickness will be no more. Jesus is the one that hastes the day when there will be no more twisted violence in our world. Jesus is the one that remakes the world, reclaims the world, destroys death forever. We pray to tear down this deathly kingdom for all time and in its place plant glad eternal cities plant glad eternal gardens that nourish and delight producing fruit reflecting love sustaining life in the video that you watch that is the greater love that is at work in Jeremy and Chelsea's heart. It's the greater love that calls us to do what? Well, don't miss this. This is the last point. Jesus calls us to do the same thing that he himself does. If he's the seed, he makes you and I into a seed who do the same. And the multiplication of the seed of Jesus, those those eight heads with the 40 seeds that ends up in, after just three plantings, three million seeds. Whoever loses his life and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will be my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, the person in love with his or, own, her, his or her own life, we're told, ruins it. Like, picture the seed dying alone. That's the picture. The person who loves his life, loves his life to the degree that he lives for himself, and that seed dies alone. Jesus did not love his life so much that he sought to advance it at all costs. Jesus did not seem to hate his life, but this is Jesus' intentional hyperbolic statement. The person who dies to the supremacy of his or her own self-life, self-advancement, self-preservation, remains alone. So how can you be one who produces a fruit, a fruit that will last? If you go with him, notice verse 26, follow me. Walk closely to me. Walk as closely to me as you possibly can. And I promise that you will be where life's deepest things are taking place. Jesus is the model, the pattern, the architect, uh, the archetype, the, the first fruit of all the other fr- fruits. His life unto death is the model for his followers. And isn't it interesting that Rome sought to use crucifixion as a way to Make sure everyone knew that you were a rebellion against the king and how that thing has been subverted. And now it becomes this, this testimony to someone who carries their own cross. They give up their life for the sake of another. I want to end with this. Sarah Hapola is an author of a book called Blackout, which is about her story uh, and her struggle with alcoholism. 
She, she finally comes to terms with her desperate need for help, and she writes, One June morning, exactly two years ago, I woke up near dawn, and I understood that if I kept drinking, I would not get the things I wanted most in life. Now think about this. The things that you want most in life, what are those things? I knew that I could keep drinking for the rest of my life, and though I might not die physically, I feared dying inside. This was an epiphany, but it was an epiphany with legs. That night, I talked to my mother about my drinking. Once you go public with your mom, there's no walking it back, which is probably why I did it. Listen to this. I wanted to firebomb my escape routes and secret hideaways. I wanted to narrow my options to one path. Friends, Jesus has firebombed all our escape routes by his death and resurrection. He's not waiting for you to meet him halfway. He's coming all the way. He is the fruit buried in the earth and dies. He is the one that is the life that produces the life in your life. When united to him, he is the one who can change your life. That is the beauty and wonder and hope of the resurrection, is that eternal life comes now in the Son. As we place our faith in him, we we have eternal life now and forever. He comes all the way, and because of that, you and I cannot escape him. He is the magnetic force of the universe. You can choose to live like he was not raised. But if he truly is the source of life and you do not go with him, you will die inside and out and remain alone. May God help us. May God help us to receive eternal life from the Son. Let's pray. God, as we come to the table, we pray that um, intangible, just like this parable, tangible, we praise you that you are the grain of wheat. We praise you that you endured the suffering of the cross. We praise you that you were put into the ground into the cave, severed from your Father and the Spirit for us. Help us today to respond to the magnetic pull of Jesus by coming to this table open-handed, crying out, fill us, God. Fill us with the fruit of your hands your body, your blood, body broken for us, blood shed for us. Help us receive your life that flows from the cross, the eternal life that is ours today and forever. Haste the day, Lord. Haste the day. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.